Alrighty, good morning. So, this morning's Bible reading in the normal Holy Bible is on page 765. John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, uh, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, and I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them full... Sorry. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, as you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world, for I... For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. My prayer is not only, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want, the, I want those you have given me, given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me 
before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. For those who are with us here, I don't know about you, but I really wanted to sing during that song, didn't you? <clears throat> I, I'm led to believe that at Christ College Chapel service that uh, they had someone from the deaf ministry come and teach them how to sing in sign language as a way of expressing. If you want to find out more about that, you can ask Ian, who's uh, with us today, principal of uh, Christ College. Let's pray, shall we? Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for uh, your word and we pray now that as we uh, consider it that you would by your spirit open our minds and our hearts as you did for uh, Shannon and uh, Natalie uh, and uh, that we would come to uh, really fully appreciate who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that some of the most significant things which we say uh, we tend to say <clears throat> at um, important times of life. Uh, like, for example, when a parent gives a speech at the wedding of their son or their daughter, uh, where they have thought very carefully about what they want to say because they really want to express their, um, their desires uh, and, and their hopes and what they value. And it's just like this morning, isn't it? Uh, as we've heard from Shannon and Natalie, as they've expressed their faith and have expressed uh, what is their deepest desire uh, for Emily. Now, of course, uh, when someone does express their deepest desires for someone else, it actually tells us about them, doesn't it? It tells us about who they are. It tells us about what they truly value in life. And I think that the same can be said uh, for our prayers. What I mean is this, <clears throat> that when we pray, uh, if our prayers are genuine, then they actually express the, the deepest longings of our hearts, the things which we consider to be most important, most valuable, which means that when we get an opportunity to hear uh, the, the things which Jesus prayed, then it actually is an opportunity for us to help to sort out and to reconsider uh, what it is that we ought to be truly valuing in life and what our hopes should be. And we have that opportunity in today's passage, which of course is John chapter 17, uh, which if you want to grab a Bible um, that you might find uh, helpful to have open and we'll be throwing up some verses uh, from that over on the screen as we go through the, the um, passage today. Now, in John chapter 17, Jesus intentionally prayed aloud so that his disciples could hear him. Now, why would he do that? I mean, mostly we like to pray privately, don't we? But why would Jesus pray specifically so that his disciples could hear him? Well, I think in the prayer itself, he gives the reason, if you care to have a look at verse 13, where in speaking to God the Father, Jesus says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, 
so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I am coming to you now, says Jesus to the Father. This is an important moment, isn't it? This is an important point in time. Uh, Jesus, if you've been with us over the last month or so, as we've been looking at this section of John's Gospel, has just shared a meal with his disciples, the Passover meal. And he knows that later that night, in a matter of hours, that he would be arrested and then the next day that he would be executed. And he also knows that in just over 40 days uh, that he would physically be with the Father in heaven. Which means, when you think about it, that the things which he's praying for now could actually wait. Most of them could wait to when he's actually uh, physically present with God his Father. But he says that he prays these things whilst he is still in the world so that the disciples would be filled with his joy. That's why he wants them to hear what he's praying. Because this prayer would be very helpful for them to know. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because for the disciples, what is about to happen to Jesus in the uh, only matter matter of hours away uh, would be absolutely shocking, would be devastating for them. And yet Jesus knew that the end result would be one of profound joy. Not just for him, but for the disciples as well. They need to hear his prayer. Now, how so? How is it that this would end in in joy? Well, let me uh, just read for you again verses 1 through to 5, and then we'll unpack that a little bit. After Jesus said this, that is everything that he'd said in chapter 16 and before that, he looked towards heaven, which is the, in, in the Bible is the posture for prayer, and he prayed. This is what he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, there's a lot in that, obviously, but uh, let me ask you this question. Do do, do these sound like the words of a person who knows that they are about to be executed? Hardly. It's it's hardly a voice of despair, is it? It's it's hardly a voice of of fear. Instead, for Jesus, he says that the, the, the hour has now come. For Jesus, this is the hour for which the whole of his life has been heading. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus does not mean that that he somehow failed. Uh, In the hours ahead, uh, the disciples, of course, would be tempted to uh, think that that may be the case, as we too would 
if we had been there. But no, the very reason Jesus came into the world was to die on the cross, after which he would be raised from the dead and return to the Father in heaven and return to the glory which he had enjoyed, the glory that had been his for eternity past uh, until he was incarnate, until he became one of us. And so Jesus is glad to be returning to the Father. But he's glad not just because he's going to be with the Father again, he's glad because he is now so confident that he will go to the cross that he's able to say to the Father that he has completed the work, the work that he was sent to do. He's confident of that. And that's good news for us too, isn't it? You see, Jesus didn't just die the death of a well-meaning religious radical who challenged the establishment and lost. No, friends, Jesus is God come in the flesh. And when he died, he died for you and for me. Because on the cross, Jesus, who had never sinned, took the penalty for our sin. Now, what is sin? Well, it was good to hear from Shannon earlier on, wasn't it, that sin is not just the bad things that we do, that sin uh, is an attitude of our heart. It's an attitude of our heart which uh, puts ourselves first before God. And it's true of every one of us. Because none of us loves and obeys God as we should. Uh, we all tend to uh, uh, go on living our lives our way and, and ignoring God. We might believe that God exists but live as if he didn't and that he has no real claim over our lives. We live without him. And, and that, that attitude of rebellion or rejection of God or ignoring God is what the Bible calls sin. The bad things which we do are a symptom of that attitude because it doesn't work out very well for us, does it? It doesn't work out very well in our relationships and the way that we run our lives uh, now and it doesn't work out very, very well in the future, in the next life. For because of sin, we actually do not enjoy a, <clears throat> uh, the relationship with God that he intended for us. And after death, we face his judgment. You see, because God is righteous, uh, he cannot simply ignore our sin. But because of his love for us, he sent his son Jesus into the world to pay, as Shannon reminded us, the penalty for our sin. So we can be forgiven. And we can enjoy, in verse 2, we can receive eternal life. So what is eternal life? Now, eternity, of course, uh, refers to a very long period of time, doesn't it? Uh, eternity is a... Uh, it's hard for me to get my mind around eternity, but eternity, theoretically, it's, it's like an unending uh, length of time. It's time that goes on forever and ever and ever. But would you want to have a life that goes on forever and ever and ever 
which is the same as this life, with its, uh, uh, its a never-ending mixture of good things and bad things, of joys and of griefs, of generosity and exploitation, of happiness and sadness, and forever and ever and ever. No, for those who trust in Jesus, eternal life is not just never-ending life, it's about having an eternal existence in perfect relationship with God, our Creator. Uh, see what Jesus says in verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. It's about relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. And it starts now for those who put their trust in him. Now, of course, this is a very bold claim that Jesus makes when you think about it. To say that the God of the Bible is, what does it say, the only true God, that's a very exclusive claim and it's not always well received. It wasn't well received in the idolatry of the first century or the idolatry of the 21st century. And moreover, the claim that Jesus had been sent by God the Father, well, that was claim enough for the religious authorities at the time to want him dead. And so, therefore, after Jesus' death, the disciples would be faced with the uh, temptation to avoid the conflict that results because of Jesus. And they would be tempted to turn away from Jesus. That's understandable, isn't it? I mean, imagine how they might have felt after his death, and, but before his resurrection. Um, they would be disillusioned, wouldn't they? Uh, wouldn't we be if we were them? And then after the resurrection, if they proclaimed the truth about Jesus, they would be persecuted. And so the temptation to put Jesus behind them was very great. Can you imagine what the world would be like and what our lives would be like if these 11 men had just gone back to fishing and tax collecting for the rest of their lives? Uh, you see, whilst Jesus was with them, he was the one who absorbed all of the attacks of the religious leaders and all of the temptations of Satan, but he was about to leave. And so in verses 6 through to 19, Jesus prays for the disciples. And he prays for them with two concerns. Firstly, in verses 6 through to 12, he wants them to be united in the truth. Uh, let's have a look at verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be as one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None of them has been lost except the one who was doomed to destruction, and that being so that the scripture would be fulfilled. 
Now, a couple of things about this. In the Bible, the name of God is shorthand for the, the character of God. You know how when we're talking about a person's name, what we mean, you know, when we say someone's got a good name, it doesn't mean that we like what their mum and dad called them when they were born. It's about their reputation, isn't it? It's about their character, who they are. And so in the Bible, when it talks about the name of God, it's everything about God, about who he is, about his character, about his justice, his mercy, his righteousness, and so on. Now, in verse 11, the literal translation of what Jesus says, and it's in the ESV, if you have the ESV, uh, it's not, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. It's, Holy Father, keep them in your name. In your name. That is, keep them in everything which I have taught them about who you are. I was once invited to a gathering, a diverse gathering of uh, church leaders uh, to a meeting where the deal was that if we came along to this meeting, it was actually a weekend away up on a mountaintop, uh, that we would uh, agree not to discuss any of our differences for the whole weekend. And if uh, we didn't discuss any of our differences, then that would mean that we would be united as one. Now, is that unity? Of course not. Uh, true unity for Christians is about being united in what the Bible teaches us about God. That's where our unity lies. And this is what Jesus prayed for his disciples, that they would be firmly united in the truth rather than compromising so as to please the the world. But neither should they disengage from the world. Now, in the Bible, the term the world is, uh, is referred, sometimes it means the planet, and sometimes it means all of humanity, but often it means the world people as they live in opposition to God. And in verses 13 through to 19, Jesus knows that because we, his disciples live in the world, that it's going to be tough for them. So what does he pray? Verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, uh, some Christians have tried to protect themselves from conflict and from worldly influences by withdrawing from non-Christians, withdrawing from interactions and relationships with non-Christians and uh, and living in a sort of a, a Christian bubble rather than seeking to live a godly life amongst the non-Christians each day and trusting uh, in God to take care of them as Jesus here prayed for his disciples. Imagine if the disciples had remained faithful to the truth but had gone and spent the rest of their lives living in a, in a monastery in the desert so that they wouldn't be polluted by the world. The message would die with them. Now, check out verse 20. My prayer, says Jesus, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me 
through their message. That is, the disciples are not to hog the message about Jesus for themselves. Jesus expects that they are going to spread the message so that others will hear and so others will believe in Jesus. And that, of course, is exactly what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. In the book of Acts, uh, we're told time and time again that the word of God, the word of the Lord, continued to spread and that large numbers of people trusted in Jesus. And friends, that same message about Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead for our forgiveness, well, that's the message which has been passed on through the generations, through the centuries. So that now, 2,000 years later, here in Port Macquarie, the message has reached us. Which kind of makes it personal, doesn't it? Because Jesus here prayed for all people who would believe and trust in him through the message of the disciples. That's us. So what did he pray for us? In verse 21, he prayed that just as Jesus is united in the Father, that the Father and the Son are one, that we would be united with one another, that we would be as one with each other. What does that mean? Well, I don't think it means that um, all Christians in the world uh, should now sign up for one uh, gigantic Christian denomination um, because that's not unity, is it? That's just institutional, um, organisational uniformity. What does it mean? Well, think, let's think smaller scale for a moment. Think about us, just us as a congregation. What is it that unites us? It's not our denomination, isn't it? It's not that we're Presbyterians. That's not what unites us, as valuable as that may be. It's not our culture that unites us. It's not our age. It's not our racial backgrounds. It's not our jobs. It's not our position in society. These are not the things which unite us. What is it that unites us? Well, what unites us is that Jesus, by his death and his resurrection, has paid for our sins so that we might be forgiven. That's what we have in common. That's what unites us. So that no matter who you are, no matter how you've lived your life, no matter what you've done, no matter what, if you truly trust in Jesus, then your sins can be forgiven. And you can enjoy a relationship with God, your creator, starting now and going on forever. This is eternal life, that they may know the Father, that they may know God and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. So can I then ask you, what is the most important thing in your life? Um, 
our, there are many important things in life, aren't there? Our families are important. My family's very important to me. Our jobs are important to us. Our lifestyle is important. The things which we own are important for us. But how would your priorities change if you knew what Jesus prayed for you? Well, in verse 24 through to verse 26... As he concludes his prayer, and also, by the way, as he concludes his earthly ministry, as he concludes his earthly ministry, he wants us to be with him. That's what he prays. He wants us to be with him where he is going, to to God the Father in heaven. And he wants us to experience his glory, the glory that he that has been his since before time began. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for you. Friends, everything else in life will one day vanish. What we own, what we've achieved, uh, even our lives will be taken away. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus means that we can enjoy eternal life, now and forever, if we trust in him. That's worth living for, isn't it? And it's worth telling others about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you sent your son Jesus into our world, that he came for the purpose of uh, showing his love, your love for us, by dying for our sins. Father, we thank you that he was faithful to you, uh, even willingly going to the cross. Father, we thank you that he's been raised from the dead and he's now with you in glory. And we pray for ourselves that his death and resurrection would shape who we are, um, what we believe, and how we live. We pray for each one of us here that we would truly put our trust in Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.